Good morning. If you're new to the chapel, I would inform you that we are going through the book of 1 Corinthians verse by verse. So if you have your Bibles with you, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 this morning. If I took a survey of this audience, and one of my questions was, when your life on this earth is over and you stand in the presence of the Lord, what two things would you like to have accomplished? I am confident that I could give you the top two answers. And those top two answers would be, number one, to have brought many other people to Jesus Christ. And number two, to have the Lord say to me, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now, if that's your goal, and it is mine, then the rest of chapter 9 has some important information for you. Because in it, Paul gives two conditions necessary to reach those goals. That first condition in verses 19 to 23 is self-denial in the area of evangelism. And the second condition in verses 24 to 27 is self-control in the area of being that servant that the Lord says, well done to This morning, we're going to look in verses 19 to 23 at what it takes to bring people to Jesus. And the fundamental thing is going to be self-denial. Now, it's very clear in this section what Paul's goal is. If you'll notice verse 19, he says at the end of that verse, that I may win more. Verse 20, that I might win Jews. Later in verse 20, that I might win those who are under the law. Verse 21, that I might win those who are without law. Verse 22, that I might win the weak. Later in verse 22, that I may by all means save some. Paul's desire is to see others come to faith in Jesus Christ to gain some, to win more, to save some. Now the question is, how did Paul go about accomplishing that? And to see that, I want us to notice four things in this passage. I've listed them in your bulletin. Number one, I have to wave my ways to win the world. Verse 19. Notice how verse 19 begins. Paul says, for though I am free from all men. Now, if anyone understood his liberty, it was Paul. He says, I'm free. I'm not tied down to the scruples of other people. I'm not hung up on rituals and ceremonies and keeping the Sabbath day and keeping the feast days like the Jews. I'm not hung up on eating meat sacrificed to idols like the Gentiles, I am free. I understand my liberty. I know my rights. But then notice what he says. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all. In reality, I am free. In practice, I'm a servant to all. I am free, but I have made myself. That's my choice. I have made myself a slave. Now, that's quite a paradox. 
And in that day, it meant more than it does in our day because a free man would never associate with a slave in that day. They were poles apart. Paul says, I am a free man, but I have voluntarily made myself a slave. It reminds me of the passage in Exodus 21 where it talks about the Hebrew slave. And on the seventh year, a slave would have the opportunity to go free. But it says in Exodus 21 that if a slave decided that he loved his master and he wanted to continue to serve his master, then his master would take him out and put his ear against the pole and take an awl and drive that awl through his ear piercing his ear, and that pierced ear would make the statement, I am voluntarily the slave of my master. I am doing it out of love. That's what Paul says here. I'm free. I've been set free. But I'm making myself a slave to all men. He followed the principle of Jesus. Jesus said in Mark 10, 44, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Paul was free from all, but he was willing to sacrifice everything to be a slave to all. Why? Look again at verse 19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. Paul's objective was to bring other people to Jesus Christ, and he was willing to sacrifice anything and everything to achieve that. Is your goal to see other people come to faith in Jesus Christ? You say, well, Dan, how far do I have to go with this thing? Well, you need to go as far as you need to go to bring that person to Christ. You say, well, how many things do I have to set aside? You have to set aside anything that stands in the way. In 2 Timothy 2, 8-10, Paul says, I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal In fact, I endure all things so that others also may obtain salvation. And I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, where he says that great passage where he says, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And we get excited about Romans chapter 8, but have you ever read into Romans chapter 9? Paul says, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And then he comes to chapter 9, and he says, you know what? I would be separated from Christ if it meant the salvation of my kinsmen, the Jews. Nothing can separate me, but I would actually give up my salvation if it meant the salvation of someone else. You see, I believe if we had that kind of passion for other people, We wouldn't have to have seminars on how to share our faith. We would get it done. Paul says, I would suffer, I would be bound, I would be put to death, I would give up my salvation, and short of that, I certainly will give up my rights. Now let's face it, 
most of us are pretty stuck in our ways. Most of us enjoy our freedom to run our life, decide what we're going to do. Paul gave up his freedom to make himself a slave. That means he had to do certain things in order to bring others to Christ. See, if we really want to bring people to Jesus, we have to be willing to change some things. We have to be willing to give up some rights. Our right to associate only with people who are like us or people who we like. Our right to be comfortable. Our right to relaxation our right to use our financial resources the way we want to, our right to determine our own schedule, our right not to be bothered by people who bother us, our right to be served, our right to be first. You see, the number one thing it takes to bring people to Jesus is that I must wave my ways to win the world. I have to be willing to give up my freedom to make myself a slave if I'm going to impact others for the gospel. Second thing it takes, I must connect to my culture without conforming my conduct. Look at verse 20. Paul says, to the Jews I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews. Now, Paul was a Jew. But as a believer, he had become free from many of the things associated with being a Jew. But he says, when I try to relate to a Jew, I become like a Jew. I adopt their customs. If they eat a meal a certain way, fine. If they observe a day a certain way, fine. If they practice a certain pattern, fine. Paul says, I'll go along with that. Why? So that I might win them. You say, well, wait a minute. What are you saying, Paul? Are you saying that by accommodating yourself to people that you can win them to Christ? But he is saying that by accommodating himself to people, he wins the right to tell them the truth. You see, if Paul had gone in and offended the Jews in the area of their customs and rituals, he would have lost the opportunity to speak. Look at Acts chapter 15 for a moment. Keep your finger in 1 Corinthians 9. Acts chapter 15 is the council at Jerusalem. And I hadn't really noticed this before. But if you look at verse 19, they have this council about what restrictions ought to be put on the Gentiles. And in verse 19, it says, Therefore, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles. Don't trouble them. They're getting saved. Verse 20, but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what is strangled and from 
blood. He says we're going to put four restrictions. Things contaminated by idols, that's something that also bothered the Jews as well as the Gentiles. Fornication associated with Gentile idolatry. Things strangled. Now that was, that was something the Gentiles did. They just strangled animals and got them on the fire. Jews had to cut the animals so that the blood ran out, according to the law. And then blood, which was, was again, forbidden by the law for a Jew to eat. Now, why are these restrictions put on the Gentiles? Well, look at verse 21. For Moses, from ancient generations, has in every city those who preach him, since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Why are they putting these limitations on the Gentiles? Because there are Jewish people in those cities and they want to be sensitive to the customs of those Jews so that they might reach them with the gospel. That's what Paul's saying. I'm sensitive to the custom. To the Jew, I became like a Jew so that I could win the Jew. Look at Acts chapter 16, verse 1. It says, Paul, called, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, And a disciple was there named Timothy. Now, he's a disciple, so he's a believer. The son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Verse 3, Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him. Why? Because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Paul's going to take Timothy to help him on his mission. Timothy's mother is a Jew. His father is a Gentile. He's a half-breed. Paul has him circumcised. Why? Was that for his salvation? No. It was so that he could minister more effectively to the Jews. They knew that his dad was a Gentile, so when they realized he was circumcised, they were going to start paying attention to what he said. That was a... That was a sacrifice, a literal sacrifice that he made for the ministry. What's interesting is you read in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 3 that when Paul took Titus with him, now Titus was a Gentile. Both of his parents were Gentiles. Paul refused to have Titus circumcised because that would confuse the Gentiles on the issue of salvation. So he became all things to all men, but he drew the line at certain places. Now, come back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and look at verse, or the rest of verse 20. He says, to those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. Now, when he says under the law, it's not a whole lot different than the Jews that he already mentioned. I think if if there's any distinction, the Jews would be a reference to the race, Those under the law would be a reference to those who are religious Jews, including Gentile proselytes. Paul says, when I dealt with those under the law, I made concessions so as not to offend them. And why? To gain them, to win them. And Paul is very careful here. He says, I became like those under the law, But I'm not under the law. And he's very clear about that in his teachings in Scripture. In Romans 6, 14, he says, You are not under law, but under grace. But when he was living with the Jews, he was willing to be 
subjected to some of their dietary restrictions, some of the limitations on activities in order to share the gospel with them. You see, Paul didn't go in to witness to Jews eating a ham sandwich. That would have been a problem. He laid that, that was his right to eat a ham sandwich, nothing wrong with it, but he knew that culturally that was going to be a problem. So he gave that up. He put that aside for the good of the gospel. In fact, in Acts chapter 21, when Paul came to Jerusalem, he was told that there were many Jews who had believed and they were all hung up on the law. And so they told Paul, we want you to take a Nazarite vow. You can read about it in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We want you to take a Nazarite vow with four other guys and on the seventh day, you're to shave your head as an offering to the Lord. Now, for some of us, that would be a greater offering than others. You say, well, Paul... Don't take that vow. That's not necessary. Why would he take the vow? He took the vow because he said, I become to those who are under the law like those who are under the law. Paul knew that by taking that vow, he would have a better hearing for the gospel with the Jews. So he made that sacrifice. And then look at verse 21. He says, to those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. Now, again, Paul grew up as a Jew, so connecting to their culture was very easy for him. him, But who are those who are without law? Well, that's the Gentiles. You see, when Paul was around the Gentiles, he fit in with the Gentiles. When Paul was around the Gentiles, he did not conform to Jewish law. He lived like the Gentiles apart from the law. But he's very careful to let us know when he talks about apart from the law. He's not talking about apart from the moral law. He's talking about apart from the ceremonial law. You see, Paul didn't say, to the adulterer, I became an adulterer. To the liar, I became a liar. No, he doesn't say that. He's talking about the absence of the ceremonial law of what to eat and dietary restrictions. In Jerusalem, Paul conformed to the Jewish law. In Antioch, he refused to. In fact, it's interesting if you'll read in Galatians chapter 2 that when Peter was in Antioch, eating with the Gentiles and practicing the customs of the Gentiles and a few Jews showed up and he backed away from the Gentiles, Paul says, I confronted him to his face about the hypocrisy of what he was doing because he was confusing the Gentiles by acting like a Jew in their culture. And Paul saw that as a very serious, serious issue. In fact, it's interesting, if you read in Acts chapter 17, you'll find that Paul was speaking to the Gentiles on Mars Hill in Athens, and he quotes their pagan poets. Very interesting. How did Paul know what their pagan poets said? Well, he had studied and understood their culture. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, and even though he was a Jew, he studied the culture of the Gentiles and was able to relate to them in their language, in their culture. I've heard preachers brag that they only use biblical illustrations 
Well, Paul used secular illustrations and quoted secular writers. Very interesting. Jesus used seeds, soil, coins, camels, fig trees. We are called to relate to our culture. And I see examples of that in Scripture. And if you want to see that in a classic example, just read Acts 17 and see Paul's message there. Very unorthodox message from the kind of message he gave when he was in front of a Jewish audience. And then he says in verse 22, another category, he says, To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. Now, who's the weak? Well, we've already talked about them in this context. Those are the people with a sensitive conscience in a gray area. Paul says, when I deal with someone who has a weak conscience, I don't flaunt my rights. I don't show off my strong conscience. I get next to that person, and I try to win them. I try to bring them along in their relationship with Christ. So what's Paul saying? Well, look at verse 22. He says, I have become all things to all men so that I may by all means save some. I have become all things to all men. I fit into the culture, whatever that culture is and whatever it takes. You see, Paul was committed to the fact that if people were going to be offended, they were going to be offended by the cross and not his insensitivity to their culture. Now, let me qualify Paul's statement here by warning you against two extremes. People read this passage, and sometimes they go to one of two extremes in this area. Extreme number one is imitation. Jesus' prayer for us in John 17, 14 to 18 is that we be in the world, but not of the world. You see, I have to connect to the culture without conforming my conduct. Paul imitated the culture, but he didn't imitate their morals. And he warned us of that in Romans 12 too. He said, do not be conformed to this world. Be careful that as you connect, you don't conform. That's imitation. The other contrast is isolation. And I think as Christians, it's easy to isolate ourselves from the world. We hang out with other Christians. We frequent Christian businesses. We send our kids to Christian school. We read Christian publications. We listen to Christian music. And that's all good. But some of us don't know any unbelievers. If I asked you something... Some of you, give me a list of five unbelievers that you see on a regular basis and interact with and have a relationship with. I think some of you would come up short. And it's hard to be bringing them to Jesus if you're isolated from them. The very idea that God sent his son into the world is an example to us that we have to go into the world. In John 17, 18, Jesus said, As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. I hear a lot of Christians complaining about the world we live in. And you know what I want to say to them? What do you expect? It's the world. 
I hear Christians say, you know what? I wish I lived 50 years ago because it was so much easier 50 years ago. Forget about 50 years ago. God called you to live today. And you have a responsibility to relate to the world in the culture that exists today. I love what the Old Testament says about the sons of Issachar. I think it's Genesis 49, where it says, they understood the times and knew what Israel should do. I love that statement. It's just so concise. They understood their culture, the times they lived in, what was going on in the world around them, and they knew what they as God's people were supposed to do. Would that we had more sons of Issachar today. They looked around and said, I understand the culture I understand the times God has placed me in, and I know what I as a child of God and we as the people of God ought to be doing. You see, we can't do that if we're isolated from the world. Apparently, some at the church at Corinth had adopted this isolation approach. You remember? Turn back to chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians. Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. When I gave you that message not to associate with immoral people, I wasn't talking about the world. And he goes on to say, I was talking about so-called brothers who say they're Christians and live this way. So what's he saying? You need to be out there connecting with the world, and when you connect with the world, you're going to be associating yourself with immoral people because that's the kind of people that live in the world. In fact, let me add this. If you're going to impact people with the gospel, you can expect them to be immoral. I'm always amazed when, when Christians come back and they go, you know, they're, they're sinners. Well, what were you before you were saved? We can't expect unbelievers to act like believers. People without Christ act like people without Christ because they are people without Christ. It's real simple. So if you're going to go reach someone without Christ, you can expect them to act like they're without Christ. And that often will make you uncomfortable. But that's one of the things we have to sacrifice. You can't be comfortable if you're going to bring other people to Jesus Christ. You can't be uncomfortable, or you're going to be uncomfortable, if you're going to become all things to all men. Third thing, modify my methods while maintaining the message. Look at verse 22 again. He says at the end of the verse, I have become all things to all men so that I may, notice that phrase, by all means save some. That's talking about methods. Mark Middleburg conveys this story in his book, Building a Contagious Church. 
Jim had a passion for God, a love for people, and a burden to communicate the gospel. But he wrestled with the question of how to bring the message of Christ into a setting that seemed so far from him. How could he help people see and embrace the truth when they had so little biblical understanding? The barriers seemed insurmountable. The task appeared virtually impossible. Even with all the obstacles in front of him, Jim knew he had to try. God had given him a vision to make a difference in the lives of these men and women. So try he did. In fact, he went to great lengths to relate to their culture, lengths that would probably make you and me feel very uncomfortable. Following the example of the Apostle Paul, he took bold risks to become all things to all men for the sake of the gospel. What kind of risks? For starters, he shaved his head right down to the skin. That is, except for the patch of hair he grew long. Not only that, he began wearing it in a pigtail and even dyed it a different color, all in an effort to fill in or fit in with the fashions of the people he wanted to reach. He also gave up his familiar business attire and began to dress like them. He even changed his eating patterns and started to dine in the style of the ones he cared so much about. Further, he worked hard to learn their vocabulary in the hopes that he would be able to effectively convey biblical teachings in their everyday street language. He read their papers, studied their ideas, and went out of his way to discover and build on whatever areas of common ground he had with them. Jim didn't do this all from a distance. No, he actually moved into the neighborhood with these people. He lived close to them, became their friend, and spent extended periods of time talking with them, getting to know them, playing with their children, all of this in spite of their non-Christian lifestyles and in almost every case, their outright rejection of his message. What did other church leaders think of all this? Did they celebrate Jim's tenacious commitment to reaching these unsaved people? Did they rally around him and support his courageous efforts? Did they uphold him in prayer and find ways to encourage him and spur him on in this bold evangelistic pursuit? Not even close. On the contrary, they mostly misunderstood, misrepresented, and even openly maligned him. The very people who should have supported and helped him turned their backs on him and his ministry. In many ways, he had to continue his efforts by himself with the backing of just a few close friends who shared his vision. Jim, or as he's more widely known, James Hudson Taylor, is the man who more than a century ago gave up everything to build a ministry called China Inland Mission. More than anyone else, he is credited with turning so many in that nation to faith in Jesus Christ. And today he is regarded widely as one of the greatest pioneers of the modern missions movement. What did he do? He didn't sacrifice the message, but he gave up and changed and made innovative his methods. You say, well, You can't trick someone into the kingdom of God. No, I agree. You can't trick someone into the kingdom of God. But you can build a bridge to them whereby they will listen to the gospel. You can have a meal with them. 
That's what Jesus did with Zacchaeus and so many others. You can ask to borrow their boat. That's what Jesus did with Peter. You can invite them to play on the chapel basketball team or softball team and begin to build a relationship with those people. You can, in some other way, build a friendship with an unbeliever. And then let me say this. When you eventually get the opportunity to speak to them, you don't have to tell them everything you know about the gospel. Some Christians think that. They think they're only being faithful to God if they tell everything they know right up front. That's being honest. That's fulfilling their calling. See, that's Paul's point in this passage. He spoke differently to the Jew than he did to the Gentile. I love the passage in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6 where it says, when we speak to someone, we are to speak and have our, our speech seasoned with salt so that we know how to speak to each person. And that salt, it says in that verse, is grace. We're to salt our speech so that it's more palatable to the person we're speaking to. And that's why I'm, I'm so resistant against canned presentations of the gospel because a canned presentation of the gospel doesn't take into account who I'm talking to. It's just saying, whoever you are, here's the canned presentation of the gospel. Well, Paul says, I became a Jew to the Jew. I became a Gentile to the Gentile. I was flexible in doing so. Oftentimes, we're more focused on whether somebody understands us and what we're saying than whether we understand that person. You see, I have to understand that person, and then I season the message for that person. That's why I love Luke chapter 24. Remember, Jesus is risen from the dead, and he's walking along the road to Emmaus, and these two disciples are there, and they're, they're all flustered and upset, and they're talking, and, and they're worrying with each other about what they're going to do and what's happened. And, and Jesus is kind of, you know, he's walking along with them, and they say, are you the only guy in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's going on around here? And Jesus, or, or you don't know the things that are going on around here? And Jesus says, what things? I love that. Jesus acted dumb to make a point, which frees me up to act dumb. And I love to act dumb. I ask people questions all the time. I know the answer to the question, but I'm asking them the question so that they'll have to wrestle with the question. And Jesus gives us that example. He, he didn't just come out and tell them everything he knew. He acted dumb because he wanted them to go through the process before he finally revealed the truth to them. Our message never changes, but our methods always do. And I think the first verse in the Bible ought to tell us that. It says, in the beginning, God created. And God is still creative. When I read through my Bible, it says, it talks about a new song, a new heaven and earth, new wine, a new covenant, a new creation, a new man, a new commandment. God is still orchestrating change. Our problem is we don't like change. Nobody likes change. Change is uncomfortable. Somebody said the only person who likes change is a baby with a wet diaper. But Paul says in verse 22, I have become all things to all men so that I may by all means save some. 
Paul says, whatever it takes to see people saved, I'll do it. You say, but isn't Paul compromising? No. He's condescending. He's giving up rights in areas that are morally indifferent. He's being flexible in areas that are morally indifferent. He never compromised in relation to the truth. Paul never changed his message. In fact, in Galatians 1.10, he says when it came to his message, he is not a man pleaser. Never changed his message. See, if someone is offended by the cross, that's their problem. If someone is offended by the truth of the word of God, that's their problem. But if someone is offended by my insensitivity to their cultural background, that's my problem. And I need to change that and adapt that and make sacrifices in that area. See, if I'm going to reach people with the gospel, I have to modify my methods while maintaining the message. And then fourthly, I have to give all that I've got for the good of the gospel. Look at verse 23. Paul says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Paul had one prevailing thought in mind, and that was bringing other people to Jesus. He did not see evangelism as an optional course in the Christian curriculum. It was the passion of his life. He could say, I do all things. I make every decision in light of how this is going to impact others with the gospel. I love that. Can you say that? When I make a decision, I'm always thinking about how this decision affects lost people and how I'm going to reach them with the gospel. What a great question. Should I do this or this? Well, how is it going to best impact others with the gospel? And when he says what he does at the end of verse 23, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it, he's not saying, I do this so I'll get saved. That, That phrase has the idea included there. He means that I'll be a fellow partaker with you of the gospel. You see, he's saying, I want you and me to be in the family together, and I'll do anything it takes to make that happen. That's self-sacrifice. Is your goal to bring people to Jesus? If so, are you willing to do whatever it takes? Paul says it takes four things. I have to wave my ways to win the world. I have to stop acting like I'm all all about being free and start becoming a servant to other people. Second, I need to connect to my culture without conforming my conduct. I need to become all things to all men in order to win them. Third, I need to modify my methods while maintaining the message. I need to do it by all means. And then fourth, I need to give up all that I've got for the good of the gospel. I need to say with Paul, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. You see, that kind of self-denial 
will make an eternal difference in the lives of other people. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for this passage that shows us insights into the strategy of the Apostle Paul, into his heartbeat, into the way he related to different people with the gospel. And Father, help us to realize that each individual is a snowflake created uniquely by you with unique backgrounds and unique understanding and unique needs. And Father, I pray as we go forth to share the gospel that you would help us to be people who are truly characterized by self-denial, giving up myself in order to meet them where they are. And Father, I pray as a result of our challenge this morning from your word that we would see our family members, our friends, our neighbors, our work associates come to faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, imprint that passion on our hearts today as we go from here to serve you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.